to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 144 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hello. And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. Hello. So if you are listening to this episode, that means something went terribly wrong. We all grew tails. <laughs> and look, we're not going to blame whose fault it is that it went wrong. It's funny that you're saying that. <laughs> no, we, uh, to, for full transparency, we discussed this is a emergency episode. And I listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't know about you guys. Uh, but every once in a while you hear an episode and it's like, hmm, they're not really saying anything about current events. Like it sounds, the audio sounds a little different. They've sounded and you can't put your finger on it. And then you realize it was like their emergency episode, but they mm-hmm. try and sneak it past you. Pedro's, we would never do that to you. No, something terrible happened. Either in geopolitical <laughs> sphere or well, hopefully in not that. personal levels or in the fact that someone hit forgot to hit record or something who knows i was gonna say it's probably gonna be a technical issue no whoa whoa whoa, whoa. <laughs> but i will say if thermonuclear war breaks out two weeks later you will get this episode <laughs> and that's <laughs> the it read list. then then it's the then it's it okay uh so you know does anybody have any shame <laughs> <laughs> i mean we probably do by the time this comes out yeah i, yeah, I, I mean let's each let's each guess one yeah let's each, let's guess hmm. i think i, I think prob- bailey has 12 books of shame i was gonna say i probably will have gone on a book bender and bought at least you know five new releases and then one classic book to make myself feel better mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so probably five five shame wow that's conservative <laughs> Um, I'll say I'm I'm hoping by the time this comes out, maybe uh, things are a little bit more safe to operate in the world. Maybe I'll be back into them street books. Ooh. Yeah, so I'm going to say I've got a, around. Yeah, a couple grubby paperbacks that I've picked up off the street. Gross. Yeah, you, you're you a gross little guy, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so my prediction is too shame. Too shame. Yeah, I am almost certain to have bought, not found anywhere or gotten for cheap bought individually every copy of a goosebumps book <laughs> so i'm gonna have the whole collection of goosebumps and fear street why not i bought them all in the last week he's a stein stan people he's a stein stan i would love to listen to the to read list reviews the abominable snowman of pasadena what was it called what yep, that's correct that is really the title. Yep. Oh. yeah there you go i remember the ghost next door that was a good one there was that one with the um creepy doll on the oh, like the yeah. ventriloquist doll no. Night of the Living Dummy or something. That was a very popular one, I think. Yeah. What about the one where it's the mask, and if you put it on three times, you can't take it off? Ooh. It was like is a that hollow- just the movie The Mask? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I think it is. <laughs> no, no. That's one. But there, but there is one with a mask. Yeah. Whether or not that's the plot of the movie The Mask, it could also be that. <laughs> We're not a movie podcast, folks. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so th- that's our shame, you know, also, you know, check-ins, like I've probably been doing a puzzle. Um, my cat what was on that puzzle, um, a cat in a book, probably. We're slowly revealing to ourselves how cyclical our lives are. Yeah. So Bailey, yeah. I have a question for you. Sure. A random question. Yep. Do you have a preference paperback versus hardback? You know, I, th- I'm gonna, I think I'm going to say paperback. Which surprises what? me as I'm saying it. That's nonsense. But I think paper hard hardbacks are better, but I'm worried that I'll hurt them more. What about you, Toby? <laughs> you can't just leave an enigmatic statement like that. Like, <laughs> I think it stands for itself. <laughs> um, I mean, I got to go paperback. I love transportability mm-hmm. and cheapness. Transportability okay. more. I used to have a big old pea coat. 
back, this is a long time ago, where um, both pockets had come apart so that the entire interior of the coat was like a big pocket. I had one of those too. <laughs> and I would, I would go places. This is when I was living in London a long time ago. I would go places with like a full kit in there, like a paperback book, other things. A sandwich. A sandwich, yes. <laughs> Uh, so fantastic. basically you were Paddington the Bear, except a little more literary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> more diverse than marmalade. <laughs> what about you, Andrew? Paperback or hardback? I'm all about that hardback life. I think they're nicer looking. Ooh. Uh-huh. I think they're more collectible. Well, I will say if it's a hardback, I have to take the cover off. Oh, yeah. Well, has- while you read it, of well, course. Of course. Wait, Bailey, then how do you use it to uh, mark where you're at? I hate, I oh my gosh. <laughs> Dylan, this I know we've talked about before. <laughs> he keeps doing this, though. He keeps taking books off my to-read list that I haven't read yet and then using the sleeve to mark this place and ruining the sleeve. Wow, Dylan. Do you have anything to say for yourself? Oh, no. I'm just here for post-work and working on the recording. I don't have any opinions about this whatsoever. <laughs> uh, with that strong, strong opinion, I think we can reveal um, what our emergency book is. And somehow it's fitting to me that this book is like the surprise wrong episode because it's a bit of like a weird dark aura around this book. The book is actually a graphic novel. Um, it's called Black Hole by Charles Burns. Um, and, this, and this book was on both Andrew and my to-read list, right? And mm-hmm. Toby had read it before, but recently reread it. Yeah, I read it a yeah. very long time ago. Cool. And Dylan's read it as well. I, I think even longer ago than me. This yeah, is, this is I, Dylan's copy. Yeah, because I had it originally. It's funny. I I uh, saw somebody reading it at art school. <laughs> I think when it like just came out too, like that version. And I just remember seeing the cover and it's like just buying it off of the cover. Yeah, I, I, that's so funny that you mentioned that because ever since I saw this for the first time, I think in your house, kind of like floating around the house, you probably have seen this. I want This is like yeah. one of those graphic novels that is so popular. It's in like Barnes and Noble. It's in like local bookstores, not even just comic stores, but like book bookstores. And, and I've noticed it pops up in a lot of like tv shows and movies when they mm. want to show that the kid is like angsty but artsy like if you look at their bookshelves they always have black hole in it i mean that fits fits uh mm-hmm. just in case it's tickling at your brain the cover is this extremely stylized pen and ink drawing of um, what looks like a smiling kind of creepily high school student in black and white um and across their eyes is a red bar with the words black hole yeah, it, it's like a high school yearbook photo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's do our patented thing that I love that everybody else hates, which is let's do the plot. Um, around, <laughs> around the table? Around the table. Oh, God. I'm glad this is a lost episode. Um, <laughs> who wants to start? I'll start. You okay. do. Oh, no, Toby does. Black Hole is... Oh, come on. <laughs> set in 1970s Seattle, Black Hole Chronicles... The experience of a group of teenagers who are plagued by an unexplained disease that causes them to sprout odd deformities. And there is a lot of <laughs> violence and sex involved, I think. <laughs> I love I love the idea of this being like the blurb on the bla- on the back of the book where it's like most of the blurb is written in like blurb language, like set in 1970s Seattle. And then it kind of trails off. And there's a lot of drugs and sex, I think. I think. I was looking for the game on my phone. Um, well, that that accurately represents the book to me, not to spoil my review. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, that, that's essentially the plot. One thing we didn't say is that the disease is a sexually transmitted disease. Mm-hmm. So it is passed among teenagers through sexual contact. Um, 
And so it's kind of like that movie that came out a few years ago called It Follows, where after, you know, people have sex, then all of a sudden, you know, this terrible thing is following them. Exactly. Like a little more context around the book. There are two, I would say, main, main characters that we're following here. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have this character named Keith, who's sort of our initial window in who's sort of this kind of stoner kid who feels a little bit like he doesn't fit in he does not have the disease um, and then we are introduced to a character he has a crush on who we later learn does have the disease and this isn't a spoiler it happens in the first few pages and it's central to the conceit of the book whose name is chris and she's our window into like how you experience life if you get the disease and the fallout thereof mm-hmm. so we have Keith is sort of on the periphery of main society, but can still fit in. And then Chris, who is like cast out because she has contracted this disease. Yeah. And I think it's also interesting to say these aren't our main people. Actually, I mean, I guess he would be the third character. Some people with the disease, they can't hide it. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's just so obvious, you know, on their face that it's covered in boils or something. But other people have a version like a mutation that's more easy to hide like one of the characters remind me of his name um has a mouth on his neck but he can rob rob but he can cover it with a shirt so he can sort of quote pass but you know he still definitely has the disease so that was an interesting element to the book too yeah and to keep fleshing the world out even more fully in this kind of town in this city that they live in it's generally it's just known like this is a thing like you know that this disease exists. You know that if you have sex with someone who has it, you get it. And they even know that a kind of community of people who have been so affected by the disease, because like Bailey said, some people can pass. But it seems to be the case that the longer you have it, the worse your symptoms get. Mm-hmm. So there are people who have it, like Bailey said, who can hide it 100%. But then there's a kind of a community, like a homeless community, that literally live in a forest where they are you know, mutated to the point where they are terrifying. And the people that try to sort of interact with the real world are generally shunned and bullied mm-hmm. and, you know, like, you don't buy a sandwich here sort of thing. Yeah. Um, which leads me to a question for you guys. I felt really strongly as I was reading this that it was an extended metaphor for blank. Like, what is the metaphor? Is it AIDS? Is it just like being a teen and feeling like an outsider? Is it racial like what is what what are they trying what do you think burns is trying to say by the conceit for me i think it's not so direct as to be this is a metaphor for aids i mm-hmm. think it's closer to the second thing you said which is inherently feeling like you don't belong mm-hmm. and then how that sort of is so pervasive in people of, of around that age yeah. like the inability to fit into the world or feel like you're where you're supposed to be and then just sort of blowing that up with an actual like you have now have the symptoms of it mm-hmm. was my reading of it yeah i would 100 percent agree with that and i also say i mean he says he manages to say so many things in one plot line but it's also kind of about you know how society prefers not to look at people who are having an extremely hard time they don't you know say your mistakes got you there and i don't want to deal with the fact that, that you're a part of our society um and it's also to me it kind of echoed the fear that can come of like being a teenager and realizing that consequences are real like you know people all of a sudden things are happening to them that could ruin the rest of their lives Mm. you know through no you know they make a mistake but everybody makes mistakes but like through cosmic bad luck this mistake will cost them the rest of their life yeah or like in a horror movie when a character has sex they're usually the first one to die sort of it's like they're being punished for Mm -hmm. this thing that's a natural part of their development um 
Yeah. That's it's a dark book, guys. It's definitely dark. Black hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of dark, the let's talk a little bit about like the drawing style. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Love this drawing style. Uh, it's it's all black and white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not being a visual artist, like, you know, person who's familiar with like how you would create this style. I don't even it almost looks like a woodcut sometimes. Yeah. Well, I think it ha- part of it is woodcut and part of the really? style he, he works at. I, I So full disclosure, listener, I did the research on huh. Charles Burns later on. He references woodcuts a fair amount. And I think that's a medium he works in. From what I could understand, that's not how he created this book. But I think that's important to him stylistically. And it does resemble like sort of half a woodcut and half those like Roy Lichtenstein era yeah romance novels of like the 70s and 60s pop art style yeah it, it definitely has echoes of those two things definitely helped out with body horror yeah it's one of the strongest <laughs> elements of the books to me is the visual aesthetic is so strong and such a clear choice and then the characters we're following get into these situations that are like they're terrifying but they're terrifying because it's just like that mixture of like something is supernatural a little bit creepy about its disease but it's also just the strangeness you might feel as like a younger teenager getting into an adult situation and just feeling so uncomfortable and looking around and looking at everyone and just being like, oh my God, these people are so scary. And the way he can just like present a situation and have you feel that emotion is is amazing. For me, the word is unsettling. Like I felt just like unsettled by it. Um, It feels familiar enough, but then not familiar enough to be creepy. In that same realm, just I I read the book through and then before we recorded this, I scanned through again and something that really popped to me. There's a lot of scenes at like parties or group Mm -hmm. scenes at school and the detail that he puts on all of the background characters in it is really remarkable because they look somehow terrifying or like distorted, even though if you actually look at them. They're just normal drawings, but the, like the way he's cho- chosen to do their facial expressions look monstrous. Mm-hmm. And that just echoes like feelings I had when I was in high school of like being uncomfortable in social situations and being like, oh, gosh, I'm in this alien landscape. Yeah. Uh, and so I thought that was an expe- effective way. And and you can get that feeling right from the cover of the book. Like yeah. if you look at the cover of the book, it really is just like a yearbook picture of someone smiling. But there's just something, something off about wrong. It. It's too perfect. Yeah. But it's not even perfect because I think like his characters, they all are very realistic looking. Like they don't look like comic book characters. They look like quote unquote real people in that like they're all kind of weird looking. Well, yeah, I don't know. What were you going to say, Don? Well, one thing, I kept getting characters mixed up for a lot of times before they turn because their faces, he does try to balance like their blank faces and their emotionless faces. And mm. sometimes they kind of merge together where like a lot of different characters have the same traits. I was mm. going to say that exact thing. Yeah. I kept mixing up particularly Keith and Rob. Yeah, because Keith oh, and yeah. Rob have the same haircut. And I think he does such a good job. But the problem is that he doesn't illustrate subtly enough that the facial features are too expressive or too different before they turn. Well, And in that case, it might be intentional because if you guys aren't familiar with the story, Keith is one of our main characters. He has a crush on Chris, who is a girl. Yeah. And Rob is her kind of ends up as her boyfriend, which mm-hmm. is a little tiny spoiler, but not really. Mm-hmm. So that Keith basically wants to be Rob. Right. Yeah. Oh, no, I think there is that. But I think there's some scenes where you can tell the dramatic emotion needs to hit. And like a lot of usually in like panels, you can kind of see like, oh, this person's getting more worried or this person's getting Mm -hmm. more anxious. But it'll go from like the black hole blank face of listening to like angry all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Whereas a lot of graphic novels, they'll have like, you know, a little breaker panel where it's like, oh, Mm -hmm. I see the thought coming over this character. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, yeah, I think for me it was it was kind of an orc. Like I wanted, and maybe it was because of the black and white woodcut style. It's like, are there any blonde people in this world? Yeah. <laughs> like everybody's brunette. It's hard to tell them apart. But now that I think about it, it must have been intentional, and it must have been sort of like although they are distinguishing between the different people in many ways, they're all just kind of on this playing field until you know stuff starts to go wrong. Yeah, that seems like we started to get into our elves there. Should we yeah. just transition? Do yeah, you guys yeah. have any more explicit elves? Um. I would say just in general, I thought it had a great premise and a really creepy premise. And I liked sort of the surreal dream like spaces when they go to this like black hole world. Um, There Mm. aren't really a lot of answers presented, but I kept thinking this would be a good art film, like the movie Under the Skin. It's like, what's happening? I don't know, but I know that it's creepy. That's such a good comparison. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it really is. Um, Yeah, I'll I'll just, um, I'll kind of piggyback on that and say my elves. I think I've, you know, expressed some of them already, but it also gives you like this incredible sense of place and atmosphere. You can tell, I think you'd be able to read it and not know it was set in Seattle and at least get that it was in the Pacific Northwest because it just has that vibe, that kind of city right next to the absurd forest vibe and I mean the art is incredible and just the atmosphere that he manages to create this like slowly escalating tension and it's so so bleak but it still moves along you still have it's not so bleak that you're like oh man I'm really wading through this you know endless story it it, and it pulled me along at least I mean I yeah it's hard I, you guys have hit the nail on the head in terms of a lot of what I was going to bring in for elves um, another thing I just want to call out is I think he uses space on the page really well. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of what Bailey was was talking about with um, the more surrealist breaks from just sort of more linear stories when they're in dreamscapes and things like that. Because it is such a rigid art style where everyone is like very clean lines, when he breaks that mold, it is very effective. And I thought did a good job of sort of making your eye move as fast as the author wanted you to, to experience yeah. the artwork versus like being like, I'm going to read this panel this panel, this panel. I thought it, it did a really good job of sort of guiding your eye around. Yeah. And, um, you know, it. some people joke about it like on Goodreads, but a lot of things in the background or, you know, around are either phallic or yonic. Yeah. Like it's very like, okay, sex is around this whole yeah. world. That's very intentional. There's, that, there's yeah. nudity, but then there's also very like, okay, I see what you're doing here. Yeah. It's always a present presence in the book, which I think effectively reflected the themes. Yeah. And it's always cool, too, when, um, because, like, Watchmen kind of does this, but you can tell that Watchmen had to be written over the course of, like, four or five years. This was written over, like, ten years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I don't think anyone's going to go out there and buy one issue of Black Hole at a time. They'll probably mm-hmm. buy the big, thick Black Hole book that the timing and the pacing of it really works well in a serialized form because he always ends in, like, not a cliffhanger. He ends in a moment of like yeah. either dread or a, of an emotion. So be, the stuff so will be happening, and then every you know thirty to fifty pages, like an issue of something. The chapter breaks in this case are more like an image that encapsulates what you're supposed to be feeling now. Yeah. And when it's all together, it kind of is an interesting way to read a book. Of like, imagine after every chapter of a book, the author told you this is how you should feel. Yeah, it's almost mm-hmm. Dickensian, isn't it? Yeah. Like it pulls you, really pulls you along. Yeah, and it's, it, I mean, it's like a lot of credits to him that for kind of thinking that way, where it's like, yeah, this one issue when it just probably comes out, because can you imagine if like this was that year's issue where yeah. it's like nothing happened? Yeah. But now that we can read it all in one go. Yeah, I think I would be frustrated to read it. I think I would too. I thought yeah. about that when I found out he had written it over a decade. Yeah, well, I mean, if you read Watchmen, 
you kind of think that's like it's such a big plot like i must have been so frustrated but it's still like a superhero plot like a crime gets solved or something happens every issue chapter well that's what i think that's not the case here yeah that's not the case here this is very clearly designed to be like a long form work that's supposed to slowly build well i guess that that kind of leads into the orcs for me like i feel like he suddenly throws in the idea of an overarching plot with the introduction of these murders, um, which is not a spoiler. It's it's in the description of the book. It says, and then the murders start. And you're like, but that's what it felt like. It's like, why do we need this? And, you know, at the same time, he's not providing a lot of answers. So for me, that was an orc. I don't know about you guys. That is 100% um, one of my only two orcs, um, which is, yeah, it, it felt like it was totally unnecessary. Like the suspense that that plot brings. Yeah, it just it wasn't necessary for me. It wasn't satisfyingly brought to a conclusion for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole thing. Yeah, I think you could have cut it, cut that whole thing out and it would have made it better. Yeah. Andrew, I don't know if I agree that he could have cut it out and make the whole thing better. But, oh, yeah. you know. I, I think that it was a natural extension of some of the themes that were going on with the people who were feeling isolated from society. Not to, that might oh, be a spoiler. You're right. But Do you mean like sort of like the incel feeling of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And and like, I don't want to drill too much into what exactly happens if in case folks want to read the book, but I thought it was more natural than what it seems like you both did. <laughs> but I also agree that it, it is sort of abrupt. It felt to me like, you know, if you ever watch the show Lost, where it's like, oh, yeah, in the first issue, I had some weird creepy dolls in the woods. I have to have them come back. Nah. Like, mm. I, the, yeah. Oh, yeah, there was a polar bear. How am I going to tie that back in? That's what yeah. it felt like to me. But maybe the only, being negative. The only thing I could think of for that is because, like, I kept trying to figure out why it has to take place in the 70s and why the Pacific Northwest. And it's like, is it because of serial killers at the time? And, mm-hmm. like, the idea of sex and violence and all this jazz. And it's like, I guess that... I didn't grow up in the 70s. I didn't grow up in the Pacific Northwest. But the idea that there were like three or four like huge serial killers that, oh, and by the way, death is going to be just a random death is also another thing that they're dealing with. Yeah. I uh, thought it was more just that's where he's from. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, it could be that he was born in 1955 and lived in Seattle. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say I had one other orc, which is a very small orc, a little a little orcling, um, which is that to me, the ending does peter out a little bit it kind of fits with the theme i think like i can see why he did it um and i'm you know probably like two pages into this you're not going to get like some big ending Um, but even so i i did feel a little bit at loose ends and like i would not have been surprised to turn the page and see like okay so next episode is the final episode you know yeah it did feel like we're almost done but okay bye Mm -hmm. yeah i mean as we've sort of established, I didn't have a lot of huge orcs with it. The one thing that sort of pervaded my reading of it, and it could just be that it's because I read what was a serialized 12-volume thing in one format over the course of, you know, what amounted to like three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't always feel like the pacing was right. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thought it kind of skated through things really quickly. Or like, in particular, I thought it like, moved at a really breakneck speed most of the time and then sort of slowed up in places where I didn't need it to slow up. Yeah. I don't know. That was, so I didn't feel entirely like, like I was riding the wave of it. But um, the only other orc I would bring in is sometimes I thought that some of the like gross things or the overly sexual things were like one step more style over substance. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. That, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I want to add more to that, but that's it was sort of my experience. I was like, that does that need to be this way? Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I, I get it. I, 
I felt a lot like, do I do I need this, you know, shot of a naked man right now? I don't know. There's a lot of nudity. Yes. There's a lot of nudity. I, I'll have to say, I disagree. I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was good choices. By the end, you realize like, man, human bodies are really weird normally. Yeah, yeah true. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of that. I was just thinking about what you're saying, Andrew, about the pacing, and I totally agree. And how frustrating must it be to be a graphic novelist? And oh. you, you can't go back. You can't be like, oh, I wish I had, had paced yeah. issue three differently. Like, yeah. it's already yeah. in the world. Interesting. Yeah. So it sounds like we're about ready for our yeah, final our final stars. Bailey, final stars. Ooh. Should we say it on the count of three? No, because we're on a podcast. <sighs> Fine. I gave it four stars. Okay. Andrew? I also gave it four stars. Dylan? Five stars. Wait, yeah. four, five or four stars? Five stars. Okay. I gave it five stars. Um, I had It's one of those ones where I had issues with it, but... I also read it in like a three or four hour setting and it was just like the perfect time for me. I was just like one long night. I finished it late at night and I just, it really powerfully affected me. I really enjoyed it. Like there are weak spots, but the the experience of reading it was five stars for me. Yeah. The experience is definitely, I think the thing that kind of, it's like, it would be a four and a half. Yeah. And that's what I was confused. It's like, I was trying to remember, but the fact that I can remember how I felt reading yeah. it like 10 years ago. And even though I don't remember the exact plots and all like the pacing issues and weird side characters, they don't like stick with you. But what sticks with you are like the mo- there's moments that yeah. stuck with you. See and that the feeling. That's exactly why I'm giving it four. Where like the feeling was really strong, yeah. the mood, the tone. But for me, he also has to nail the plot and characters and make them really memorable for it to be five for me. So mm-hmm. that's why I went four. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. I mean, that's about how I feel. Oh, I did forget one other elf. Can I throw that in? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, some uh, relationship I really liked was the sort of changing dynamic between um, Keith and Chris. Mm -hmm. And I thought it showed the importance of the lesson that like everyone learns, or hopefully everyone learns at some point in their life, which is that you need to love the fact of people and not your idea of them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lesson that comes through in like a really finessed and, and smart way and an idea that's usually hard for like a novelist to expand when they can give you more information than a graphic novelist could so i was i was really struck by that that's so funny because i didn't like that because i guess i was identifying with the woman more i'm like get away from her well yeah no i that that's and that's fair i think you're supposed to as the audience feel that yeah Yeah. um but i thought he he i I thought the lesson was was carried forward i guess i I was just identifying more with chris there where i was like oh the lesson is don't be nice to people because then they'll think that you like them (laughs) because then you'll trust a boy that the next thing you know your skin's falling off it's true (laughs) all right to be fair that's not chris's fault (laughs) true i mean that's not that's not keith's fault that's not keith's fault um well guys black hole by charles burns seems like 4.5 yeah cool um andrew you have facts on on mr charles burns yes on sir charles sir burns. charles burns i bet he's a really interesting person he is you know he i read it like a couple interviews with him and there's not actually that much info about him on the internet he seems mostly to be a private guy who draws some things people are really interested about and he's kind of like yeah i drew this thing yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of weird i don't really like gross stuff but it's just why it's what i made hmm. uh, how could you not like gross stuff and make this book? That's funny. Well, no, he. I didn't include the actual exact quotes in my research from this, but the interviewer is like, did you have a fascination with like gross stuff? And he's like, no, I mean, people always think I do and like they want to show me gross stuff. And I'm like, no, I just thought it was right for this story. <laughs> that would be funny to get all these people contacting <laughs> yeah. you like, check this out. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. But yeah, here here's facts about Charles Burns. 
Um, Burns was born on September 12, 1955. He moved around a bit when he was growing up, but settled in Seattle when he was about 11. He said fifth or sixth grade. He didn't seem to know. Um, <laughs> and he grew up there. That's where his formative life experience takes place. That's where this book takes place, uh, unsurprisingly, perhaps. He attended Evergreen State College, which he attended with Matt Groening, creator of The Simpsons. Mm. And he can't say for sure if Mr. Burns was named after him or not. <gasps> what? Is he eating? Yeah, he's Ooh. he's bald. He's weirdly, ca- yeah, he's weirdly cagey about. He wasn't have been bald in college, but you don't know that. <laughs> he was like cagey about. It. He basically said like Matt never told me that he named him after me. He knew me, I knew him, but I'm not going to say that he's named after me. But I'm choosing to believe that he's yeah. named after him. But I did have a best friend named Smithers, so. <laughs> <laughs> he also, after Evergreen College, he went on to study fine art at UC Davis. So he had formal training for in a, like a wide variety of different subjects. He did sculpting, he did performance art, but he really keyed in on, on drawing. He said that that was how he like coped in high school. Apparently he had a pretty rough high school experience and his coping mechanism was he would just sit for hours and draw Mm. um as influences when he was younger were superhero comics he referenced um that he was moving around a lot as a kid but he knew he could always get the next issue of superman or batman so that Mm. was like a connection point for him he says he chooses batman over superman Mm. because it's a little bit darker i mean yeah Yeah, yeah yeah he also discovered underground comics at a young age and cites robert crumb obviously Mm -hmm. as his uh in his work on zap comics as an influence if you don't know who robert crumb is first of all i don't say that in like a a mean way it's totally chill to not know who robert crumb is but if you do know it makes a lot of sense that he's an influence on him yeah if you've Uh, ever seen a comic and thought wow that's the grossest thing i've ever seen it's probably robert crumb (laughs) exactly um after school he worked as an illustrator and made his money that way and was from the early stages involved with Raw Magazine, uh, which was started by Francoise Mouly and uh, Art Spiegelman of Mouse fame. Mm -hmm. Um, So he was there from the beginning. And as we mentioned in our review, Black Hole was initially a serialized comic and the first issue of 12 was published in 1995. It ran until 2000. 2004 and was collected and released in the single edition that you see everywhere uh, in 2005. It's a long time to be working on the same thing. I think yeah. wasn't Mouse written over like 20 years too? It's not a contest. <laughs> yeah, it's not a contest. It's a great question. And I do not know the answer. <laughs> I, be- I believe it was written over an incredibly long period of time. But I mean, it makes sense. I, There's the I have a art. copy on my shelf. I'm going to check. <laughs> <laughs> so the re- he, as I mentioned, didn't have a lot on him on the Internet. He doesn't seem to really love sharing a lot about his life. Uh, but I did have a relatively recent interview with Vulture, uh, specifically interviewed by Abraham Reisman at Vulture, where he was, they had recently released a new version of Black Hole, which was larger. It it mimics the size he was actually working in when he was drying it, which is quite Hmm. a bit larger. Hmm. Um, And so this was in 2017, and it was to coincide with the release of that studio version of it. And yeah, so the rest of this, for at least the next bit, comes from that interview. And I'm going to start off with an answer that is very funny to me. This is an odd question. This is the interviewer talking. This is an odd question, but I promise I'm going somewhere with it. Do you watch Riverdale, the <sighs> dark RC Comics teen drama? Has that crossed your radar? Charles Burns says, no, it hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it follows up. I asked because I interviewed one of the stars, Cole Sprouse, who plays Jughead, and asked him what fictional works he thought the show was similar to. He responded by saying something along the lines of, oh, well, definitely Charles Burns' Black Hole. Uh, Charles he Burns would. responds, that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's true. 
Uh, Burns responds, that's funny. There's something about the name Jughead, which just made me laugh. Anyway, I think I've read about it, maybe some articles about it, but I've never watched it. (laughs) (laughs) My experience researching about it made me really like Charles Burns. He seems like a down-to-earth, just chill dude. Yeah. Which is weird compared to what he's drawn Mm-hmm. for us to see at the same time wouldn't you just love it he's like yes i love riverdale <laughs> yeah <laughs> that would be great all right now we're getting into the real stuff interviewer asks black hole has a lot of moments that feel almost like a romance comic of from the 50s or 60s did you read those at a formative age they were a little before your time i guess burns responds this sounds weird but as an adult i looked at romance comics there's something about them that's fun to read usually they're pretty bad stories but at least on the surface level, they're kind of fun to read. So just in my mind, when you say romance comics, I don't really have a really good like example in my mind of what that is. Andrew, except for maybe one that I read growing up or saw in the paper called Prince Valiant. That's that Roy Lichtenstein style. But uh, that's the only one I can think of. Yeah, I mean, I without my professor, um, Peter Antilles would be yelling at me to try <laughs> to remember the specifics right now, but I do not remember any other one. But Prince Valiant is a good at least reference for what they looked like. So that um, was nationwide, huh? Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. Mm. Just to uh, to finish off that quote, and this is pretty interesting thinking about those romance comics uh, in terms, and also thinking about the content of this book. Uh, Burns says, I think of Black Hole as more of a romance comic than a horror comic. That's my take. So. <laughs> Dis- if you're disagree. For an example of a Roma. <laughs> yeah, you're for a romance comic, at least according to Charles Burns, <laughs> you found it here. Mm, <laughs> Big to differ. I think it's a bad romance. Mm. Uh, next quote. Question. The series took about a decade to complete. When you started with your notebooks and sketchbooks, did you know what the last page would look like? Hmm. Probably not right at the beginning, but I had a core idea. I knew what the last page was going to be for, let's say, seven years. That's wild to me that seven years in the future, you know, the last image you're going to do. This is just a funny quote in this article. The interviewer and and him have a funny thing where the interviewer is definitely way more into interviewing him than he is to answering the questions. Yeah, seems like it. (laughs) But this was funny to me. Uh, Black Hole is filled with people who are motivated by fear. What scares you? What keeps you up at night? Burns' response to this, actually, after hemming and hawing and saying, well, I take sleeping pills so I don't stay up at night, (laughs) answers, the physical world is fearful. I'm afraid of the physical world. How's that? All-inclusive. Wow. (laughs) That's a lot. (laughs) This poor interviewer. What if he was just like snakes? (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, I honestly recommend reading this interview. It's pretty fun. It's not that he's mean to the interviewer. He just, like, I think doesn't think of himself as that interesting. Yeah. And the interviewer is, like, kind of fanboying over him. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. Um, (laughs) Outside of comics, he's designed the sets for Mark Morris's The Hard Nut, which is a long-running Nutcracker adaptation that plays at BAM in Brooklyn. Huh as well as ad campaigns for Altoids and OK Soda, um, which was a short-lived Coca-Cola product. Heard it was, heard it was OK. Was, yeah. The mm. problem is he sprouted out eyeballs when you drink it, so. <laughs> yeah. I would drink the that soda. The slogan was, it's going to be OK. <laughs> 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 he also did the artwork for an Iggy Pop album. So he's had a varied and interesting career. Very cool. Uh, Lovely. Yeah. Great facts. Good facts, Andrew. Thank you all. So guess what, guys? What? Why? Well, Andrew, do you have a game for us? Like, because this is a normal episode. No. What? No way. Oh, no. Something's what gone a disaster. wrong. <laughs> this week, Dylan and I wanted to make the game. Oh, wow. Ooh. I'm excited. We made a game. So it'll be Andrew. What a weird dynamic switch. 
It'll be Andrew versus me? Yes. Okay, so not so much a switch for me. I'm still playing a yeah. Massey. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> you played one Massey, you played them all. <laughs> Toby, I'm going to ruin you. Oh, God. Oh, the no. Masseys are all the same. <laughs> so this game, well, okay. So we were thinking, like, what can we, you know, what does this book remind us of? Like, mutations, pe- wow. people who are mutants, X-Men. Okay. And comic books. You can just oh, nice. say comic books. And comic books. So we've come up with, it's, it's a classic Andrew style game where it's called X marks the spot. We're going right. to give you a real X-Men character and their power, their name and their power, mm-hmm. and a fake one. And you have to decide which one's real and which one's fake. All right. And we'll go back and forth between you. Um, whoever gets the most points wins, um, and we have a tiebreaker if need be. Cool. I'm excited. And who gets to go first? Just before we start, Andrew, are you a fan of the X-Men like franchise outside of the movies? Because that's all I've seen. Um. I haven't even seen all the movies, but I used to watch the animated series. I mean, of course, like, a given. Yeah, I, a given. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, I'm I might I don't know what I don't know. You know, these yeah. guys are not from the animated series. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, we we found some really dumb X Men. We tried to go obscure, so we didn't want to do like Wolverine. Anyway, first one is Gambit. <laughs> um, so how He's about I ask Toby and you ask Andrew? Okay, so Dylan's going to ask Toby and I'm going to ask Andrew. And who goes first? Who can name an X-Men character first? Go. I already said Gambit. Gambit. Okay. Well, Jubilee. We'll, we'll do Toby first. Fine. Toby first. All right. All right. So Toby, mm-hmm. your two mutants are exceptional. He can blow himself up, but only once. <laughs> or what? bookworm. He can absorb any information on any written material just by touching it. Oh, the the blowing himself up one sounds so absurd. Like it sounds like it can't be real. So I'm gonna say, the blowing himself up guy. He's real. Exceptional, also known as yes. Bailey Hoskins, has been a member of just about every mutant team the Marvel Universe has to offer, and still has not blown himself up yet. But he's been on X Factor, the so, New Mutants, X Force, and Beta Flight. So he's just a guy, but he claims he can blow up. That's his power. He can blow himself up, but he can only do it once. That's hilarious. What if you just made it up? I actually knew this one, so maybe I'll yeah. do okay in this game. Uh-oh. Andrew, are you I ready? I say that and I'm going to get mine wrong. <laughs> okay. Yes. Andrew, Plastique. She has the ability to manipulate plastic. Or Wraith okay. can turn his skin invisible, but just his skin. <laughs> There's a lot of but just. <laughs> I think Wraith is the real one because I think you heard Mystique and said Plastique. Hector Rendoza, otherwise known as Wraith, possesses Ooh, one of yes. the worst superpowers imaginable. <laughs> he can turn his skin invisible. He simply makes his skin completely transparent. All right. So the two are Jockey is able to turn any living creature into a horse-like being and ride them. <laughs> what? Or Ice Cream, like an eye and scream, has the ability to turn into any ice cream flavor. Like his physical form becomes ice cream? Yeah. Oh my, okay, I'm going to say the horse one is real. <laughs> Ice Cream no! appeared once in a 1983 comic book. His mutant power is the ability what? to transform himself into any ice cream flavor, and he broke into D- Xavier's school, but then melted. <laughs> <laughs> Did they say what flavor he was when he melted? No, I actually read that. Co- I was like reading the comic while doing it. It's like, wait, this is real? Oh, wow. Okay, well, you can't fault me for that one. <laughs> nope. <guys. laughs> nope, Jockey made a lot more sense. Yep. <laughs> you made the right choice. <laughs> All right, Andrew. So, Lifeguard. Automatically gains any powers needed for a situation, but only if there is a person in danger. Or Vector has the ability to change her body into a metal triangle and launch herself at enemies. Wow. Vector. 
is the real one. Vector's the real one. Lifeguard's powers are peculiar and that she can detect danger to human life and automatically gain any powers needed to save those at risk. Does she wear like a Baywatch style bathing suit all the time? She does. She was a lifeguard. I knew it. I knew it. Hey, Bill, we're really good at writing really bad. (laughs) Yeah, you guys are great. I mean, you have a 50% hit rate. (laughs) Okay. Uh, um, Forget me not. The ability... Who has the ability to be instantly forgotten by anyone he meets, or age out, who has the ability to become older or younger on command. Okay. Age out sounds like his power is actually useful, so I'm going to say Forget-Me-Not is the real one. Forget-Me-Not would be very useful if you're trying to do, like, a heist. Forget-Me-Not has been a member of the X-Men for over six years, likely joining prior to M-Day, which is the the day a lot of people turn into mutants, a lot of mutants lose their powers. Anyway, Mm -hmm. however, due to natures of powers, he went unnoticed by his peers, remained absent from official rosters. Professor X placed a psychic reminder on his own mind to force him to remember Forget-Me-Not's existence once an hour. Once an hour? Yeah. What? Hey, remember this guy exists. <laughs> wow. There's been a lot of X-Men comics is what I'm getting out of this. Uh, so what's our score so far? Uh, Toby. Two to one. Two to one. There's two different ones here. One's real and one's <laughs> Just to remind you. Okay. El Guapo has a psychic link with a flying skateboard. Or Lunez can secrete any smell known to man. Oh boy. I, I have to pick El Guapo because it's too great of a... Even if it's wrong, I, I go down picking El Guapo. El Guapo's power was apparently oh, yes. focused through his skateboard, which moved at his mental command and sometimes acted out his subconscious thoughts, as when this skateboard beat, beat him up for cheating on his girlfriend. Oh, wow. That just gets better and oh, better. Wait, actually, I knew this guy. Oh, yeah, okay, he's, he, yes. he lead- I've read it. I've, I've, I've seen something with him in it or, yeah. or watched, read something. He leads the ex-teens or whatever, the, the dumb high school one. I can tell it's a That's dumb right. high school one. All right, so it's we get the tiebreaker, Dylan. We get the tiebreaker. And this one's relatively famous, but what we're going to do is we're going to name a mutant. and you're This going, is a real X-Men. This is a real uh-huh. X-Men and a kind of famous one. This is the most famous one on the list. Okay. But you have to describe what their power is. So either take a guess or not. And okay. whoever gets it closest wins. Okay. And that X-Men is Maggot. Maggot. Well, I'll go ahead and say that I have no idea who this person is. Maggot has the ability to eat anything and turn it into strength. Maggot. M-A-G-G-O-T. Maggot. (laughs) I was just about to make fun of you for pretending you were at a spelling bee and then you beat me to it. Um, That was sort of what I was going to go with, but I think he has the ability to regenerate after getting beat up real bad, but he still looks bad after doing it. <laughs> All right. Well, neither of you were exactly right, but Dylan, since he knows Maggot the best, can can judge. Look, I'm a huge Maggot head. <laughs> no, uh, Maggot, I don't know if you guys recognize him, but he's a, uh, he has two Maggots that hang out with him. That, so he doesn't have a digestive system. He has I hate this. Two, <laughs> I forgot what they are. They're like, Maggots. Alien maggot things okay. that can eat anything and that he can ah. absorb that power. Well, then I think we have no, a clear that's winner. Very close to that's Toby. very close to Toby. Toby is the clear winner. Yes. Unfortunately, yeah. this is a lost episode <laughs> that will hopefully never air because nothing will ever go wrong. That's true. Good job, Toby. Yay. That was yeah, well X done, Toby. marks the spot. Good job, Dylan. Guys, that was a great game. Thank you. Well, now's the time in the podcast we would usually do the choosing, but, but we're just going to insert it here. Hey there, Pagos. This is your humble editor, Toby, here to tell you the choosing for next episode. It'll be North Anger Abbey by Jane Austen for Bailey and Confederates in the Attic 
by Tony Horowitz for Andrew. I'd also like to take this opportunity to bask in the glory of my winning that game, which happened a couple months ago now, but it's pretty sweet to be able to be here in the episode telling Andrew that he sucks at X-Men and that I apparently know X-Men. Thanks. Okay, so next week, Andrew's going to be reading Anatomy of Melancholy. Oh, wait, this is an emergency <laughs> episode. Therefore, it can never get drawn. Yes. And, and Bailey's going to read Les Miserables. Uh, and Toby's going to read Titus Groan. Oh, all right, great. Yeah, uh, that's right. Next time, it's three people reviewing. So hope you enjoyed that emergency episode. And by the time you're hearing this, you forgot that it was an emergency one because it was such a good episode. Flawless. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List Podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the To Read List Podcast and on Instagram at the To Read List Podcast. If you enjoyed this emergency episode, please treat it as your own emergency as fast as you can. Go to your podcast rating app of choice and rate us five stars. And once that emergency cools down, you have a little bit of time to reflect about your life. Think about the person in your life who loves books the most and the person in your life who doesn't listen to our podcast the most and find the exact center of that Venn diagram and tell them to listen to this podcast. Word of mouth is our best way to find new listeners, and we'd very much appreciate it if you helped us out. I love you guys. You're great. All right. Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, books, books. books.